just as you are to us always so strong in love it's who you are you satisfy everything that this heart could need it's who
Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Foothill Family Church. Happy, blessed start of the week. We are, we are missing you in person, but we love that we get to interact with you via Facebook Live and via YouTube. Go ahead and hit that share link below so your friends and family can join us in worship this morning. Why not share the word? And this is one of the easiest ways that you can do it. So go ahead and hit that share button. We love you. We miss you. We invite you to worship with us this morning right there in the comfort of your own home. We love you. We can't wait to be back with you soon. Father, we thank you for this morning we can come together to worship you as our church family gathers around the country, around the world. God, be glorified in this place. And every single home represented here, be glorified. We thank you that you inhabit the praises of your people. And God, wherever we go, you are there. Thank you that we have the opportunity this week to be your hands and feet. Be honored and glorified in this place today, God. Praise you.
Father, we thank you for sending your Son, your one and only Son, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life, for shedding your blood for us, for making us new creatures. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. We worship you, Jesus. We magnify your name. You are good. Your mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. You know, I was thinking as we were singing that song about how when the uh, children of Israel were in Egypt and at the last plague they were told to slay a pure lamb and then take the blood of that lamb and put it on the doorposts of their house. And that when they did that, that the angel of death that came over Egypt, the angel of death would pass by their house because they had the blood of Jesus on the doorposts of their house. You know, that's good news for us. That's symbolic for us that says, we who know Jesus as our Lord, as our Savior, we who declare his word, we who proclaim him Lord and Savior, that as we do that, we're applying the blood of Jesus to the doorposts of our homes, to the doorposts of our bodies, where the word of God promises us, there shall no evil befall you, neither shall any plague come near your dwelling. That is such good news. That's good news that we know for ourselves, but not just for us only, but in this time we can share that good news with people around us. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, let's see. At this part in the service, we would say, shake hands with your neighbor now. Although we don't usually say that in the winter. We quit saying that in the winter. We just say, are you laughing, Jessica? <laughs> You're not even supposed to do that. Back off. We didn't touch. <laughs> um, but you all are quarantined together or there together and so you know give your neighbor a high five a hug or even a kiss <laughs> amen uh, we do want to let you know a couple of things um, uh, if you can, if you're watching us live now um, by Facebook, there is a little share button at the bottom of the of the screen there. If you're watching it uh, on on there, and then just so sh hit that share button, and you'll share it to your friends. And it, you know, people are looking for answers these days. Um, the world is in upheaval. The world is changing. Uh, nothing, nothing can be counted on. But this morning as I was praying, these two scriptures came to me. The first was in Hebrews 13, 8. And it says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, nothing, the words that hit me on that page was the same. Because nothing is the same. Nothing can be counted on. But something that is the same that can always be counted on is our Lord Jesus. And then also in Matthew 24, 35, it says, Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away. But my word shall never pass away. And so people around us are looking for peace. They're looking for answers. Um, people that, you know, on your weekly visit to the grocery store that you may uh, run into or talk to, they're, they're afraid. You can look in their faces and you can see that they're afraid. But let us take the opportunities that we have now to share with our neighbors, to share with our family, and to share uh, where we might have occasion to share the good news of Jesus being the same and, our, and faith and trust in him. 
we also um, want to let you know, um, oh, I'll just give a few um, praise reports along those lines now. Um, We've heard from people in our church uh, through texting, through phone calls. You can email us. There's some information on the bottom of your screen. Um, if you need to get in touch with us, there's an email address there. There's a phone number there. And either the office staff or ministry staff will get back to you. So if there's something that you need, if somebody hasn't contacted you and uh, you need something or you need prayer or you want to just give us information, you always know that you can um, contact us there. Um, uh, uh, let's see. So then a few uh, testimonies uh, that we wanted to give of um, things happening in our church. Um, let's see, some, some work-related items. This is a real praise report. Uh, uh, a dentist that we have in our church, uh, dentist offices are closed. They cannot be open right now. However, you will know that sometimes people have emergencies with their mouths. And if you ever had pain in your mouth, you know that you want a good dentist. And uh, so they still have to perform emergency surgeries, uh, but they didn't have any special masks. And in the day, the same day that they let um, let us know that they this was going on and what their need was, we heard from somebody else. And anyway, it was a supernatural thing that this dentist in our church had the two masks that he needed, one for himself and one for his assistant so he could perform these emergency surgeries. I mean, in the same day, God met that need. Also, we had another um, person contact us, and uh, they had five jobs, and um, there were three young men in the church at the time that were needing jobs and looking for jobs. One got a job, and then there are two other people who are in process with this other to find jobs. So God will meet our needs, and um, we have uh, seen it in our own church family. Um, some people have even contacted us and told us that they have more work happening right now as a result of what's going on. So um, the word of God is not bound by the circumstances going on around us. Um, God's word is true, and he is meeting needs. Also wanted to let you know um, that um, uh, Somebody wrote us the other day, and um, their uh, neighbors who um, they've been reaching out to their neighbors, and they said at a distance, but their neighbors have questions, and they have ordered Bibles. They ordered six Bibles for their neighbors. Their neighbors are, are asking questions about the Bible. They're being able to minister um, the truth to them, and um, so that's one thing that's happening. Um, another uh, lady in the church who has been witnessing to her family, they're not born again, her mother sent her this last week. She copied a prayer, and it was a beautiful prayer. They, she sent it to me, and it was a beautiful prayer um, using the name of Jesus and talking about protection. And so this family member that is not does not know Jesus, she is searching. She uh, even sent a prayer to this lady in our church. Um, there's another lady in the church who... Um, um, who uh, who was one of their um, families of a client of her husband. 
I don't know if they're believers, she told me, but I don't recall. Um, they made meals and um, took it and left it at the door of their house. And so these are just a few things that's happening um, all around us, and we have to seize the opportunity. There are opportunities there. God's word isn't bound because people are being confined to uh, their homes. And um, so we're grateful for that. Um, we did want to um, also let you know another good thing. Uh, we do keep in touch with our ministry, uh, our missionaries overseas, and what is going on. Um, and so we uh, read some things this last week and want to report that there are, I'm trying to think how many, I'm really off on the number of how many Rama Bible training centers there are around the world. Do you remember? It's up. Chip, do you remember? No. You heard that a year ago. Yes. What was it a year ago? No he doesn't know and he's young. Ooh, that blesses me. Anyway, so. Um, I, it's like around 200. It was 155, but then it went up. It's a large amount of Ramas around the world. And um, uh, so what they're having to do is they're putting a lot of their classes online, and they are seeing an increase of people applying and going to Bible school now that it's more accessible, and people don't have to go to one location, but they can watch it uh, online wherever they are in that country. So uh, God is on the move. And um, these are days for us to pray. These are days for us to rejoice. Amen. Um, also want to let you know that kids and youth um, just, if, do you want to say, okay, where, what is it, where can they follow youth inst Instagram? Is uh, it's at underscore FFC underscore youth. So if you type in FFC youth, you'll find us. You'll see our page there. Same for young adults, at FFC underscore YA is where we're at, doing a lot of our stuff as well. They're doing a lot of things on Instagram. Um, they, the uh, young adult ladies and the youth ladies, they had a Zoom small group yesterday morning that started at 10, and I think that it didn't end until 12.30. And so these, you know, you cannot isolate these, these women and these young girls. They're going to talk. So there are a lot of things like that going on. And so, um, you know, just if you don't know what to do, contact us um, through the information at the bottom of your screen at office at foothillfamily.com or our phone number, and we'll hook you up with who you need to be hooked up with. Um, the um, kids posted this morning on Facebook um, their um, a service, and so parents, you can show them that service, um, and then I think they also will email you a link to that as well. Um, Okay, last thing we want to remind you about is, um, and it's at the bottom of your screen, um, if you want to know how to give, you can uh, give at text Foothill Family 77977. It's at the bottom of your screen. And I believe uh, that is all. Um, Chip and Jessica now are going to sing a song uh, before Pastor Mike comes. Um, I saw it uh, on Facebook this last week. Um, friend of ours that many of you in the church know, Patsy Caminetti, her brother, Steve Bierman, wrote this song about 25 years ago. And I was so moved when I heard this song on Facebook. We've known Steve and his wife for many years as well. And um, so I asked the guys behind me here, if they would um, uh, please do the song for us this morning. It is timely, and I trust it will bless you as much as it blessed me. God bless you.
the shadow of your wings in the cleft of the rock hidden away in the palm of the almighty I will abide shadow of your wings in the cleft of the rock hidden away in the palm of the almighty I will abide in the secret will dwell throughout my days. So I will say of the Lord my God, He is my let's pray. Father, we bless you. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you for the truth of your word that you've made available to us, not just as a book or a history lesson, but a foundation, a sure foundation for us to build our lives upon. Father, I thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost that we might say the things that need to be said 
And I pray for every person under the sound of my voice, by whatever medium they are participating with us, I pray that their eyes, spiritual eyes of understanding would be enlightened, that we would know who we are in Christ and what belongs to us in a greater way, in a greater measure than we've ever known before. We thank you, Father, for making it so. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Well, we want to teach a little bit this morning on the Passover, and we'll be receiving communion after the, uh, at the end of the service, at the end of the teaching. So we want to encourage you, if you have access to something that you can use for communion, doesn't really matter what it is. It's the attitude of the heart that makes the difference, not the elements that we're using. But if you want to gather together something for yourself and for your family and whoever's gathered there with you, uh, we would invite you to do just that. I'm going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. Paul is writing to the church by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And he said, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Then I want you to go with me also to the institution of the Passover back in Exodus chapter 12. I'm going to begin in verse 1. This is when the children of Israel are still in bondage in Egypt. There have been nine plagues. What the Bible says is God exacting judgment upon the gods of Egypt. And this is the last one. The death of the firstborn would be the last of the plagues before Pharaoh would turn the children of Israel loose and send them away. So Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it upon the two side posts and on the upper doorpost of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with the bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden it all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, and with the puritanates thereof. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning you shall burn with fire. And thus shall you eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be, for unto, shall be unto you for a memorial, 
and you shall keep it a feast unto the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread, and even the first day shall you put away leaven out of your houses. For whatsoever, whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. And on the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and in the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat, that only may be done of you. And you shall observe the feast of the unleavened bread, for in this selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall you observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. That word armies just literally means a mass of people. So it's talking about the whole group of Israel. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at even, you shall eat unleavened bread until the one and 20th day of the month at even. Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses. For whosoever eateth that which is leavened, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a stranger or born in the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your habitations shall you eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw you out and take a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and upon the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. And you shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. And it shall come to pass when you become into the land which the Lord will give you, according as he has promised that you shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean you by this sacrifice or by this service? That you shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. And the people bowed their head and worshipped. And the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne until the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the, Magi all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up and get you forth from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go and serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We be all dead men. And the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading troughs being bound up in their clothes upon their shoulders. And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses. And they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they lent unto them such things as they required. And they spoiled the Egyptians. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Suppah 
about 600,000 on foot that were men beside children, and a mixed multitude went up also with them, and flocks and herds and even very much cattle. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they had brought forth out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not tarry. Neither had they prepared for themselves any food. Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even the selfsame day it came to pass, that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night to be much observed unto the Lord for bringing them out into the land, from the land of Egypt. This is that night that the Lord, this is that night of the Lord to be observed of all the children of Israel in their generations. The children of Israel have been in bondage in Egypt for 430 years, even as God prophesied and told uh, Jacob, who was also known as Israel. He had also revealed it to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 when he cut the covenant with him. And it's come to pass just as God said, the children of Israel who were, when Joseph was in Egypt and was the prime minister of Egypt, his family was brought down and, and was very highly respected. But through the years, one Pharaoh after another lost respect for the children of Israel, the descendants of Joseph, that had come down during the, land, the time of famine. And it came to the place where Pharaoh had enslaved the people of Israel and used them for his own purposes and had mistreated them Pharaoh after Pharaoh after Pharaoh mistreated them greatly. But God heard their cry. God appeared to Moses, gave Moses instruction about going before Pharaoh and saying, let my people go. Moses obeyed God, and as a result, God exacted judgment upon the different gods of Egypt to show that he was the true God and that their gods, the idols that they worshipped, had no bearing and had no power. It came to the place where Pharaoh agreed to let Israel go and relented time after time after time until it came to this last point, this last plague, the death of the firstborn, and then he released the children of Israel. Now the Bible says in Psalm 105, verse 37, I believe it is, that God brought them forth with silver and gold and there was not one feeble among them. Not one feeble among them. Now, most scholars, well, everyone that I know of that, uh, that claims to have an answer on how many of the people of Israel came out of Egypt, estimate the group to be anywhere from two to six million people. We see the number that is identified as the men of Israel were 600,000, but that doesn't count the women or the children, and it doesn't include the mixed multitude that may or may not have been as large as Israel itself, people that had been convinced of the power of God by the power of God, that God was the true God, the creator of the universe. And so anyway, there was a, a great mass of people, this mixed multitude that came out with them together. Now this was before any of the law of Moses was given. This was before the day of atonement was established. This was before any of the ritual sacrifices were given. This is God's first act 
toward his people to reveal himself as to he really as to who he really is they saw his power when the Nile River was turned into blood they saw his power when locusts and frogs covered the land they saw his power when darkness came upon the land and and remained there they saw his power when hail mixed with fire fell and as I said all these things were exacting judgments against different gods of Egypt they, uh, Egypt, one of, the, one of the, the gods of Egypt, one of the idols that they had was a frog. And so time and time again, God exacted judgment upon their, Egypt's gods, by showing himself to be greater than who they claimed to worship. So the time for the Passover comes. This was something new. Israel had never heard, it, heard of it before. We know from the verse of scripture that we just started off with, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, that Christ is the fulfillment of the type that the Passover gives to us. So these things were fulfilled in Jesus, whereas Jesus, as our Passover, was the lamb that was slain rather than each house killing a lamb for its own purpose. Now the Bible also says in Psalms, that the, uh, most everybody focuses on the, uh, the blood, that which represents Jesus' blood. But the Bible also says that they were instructed to eat the meat, the lamb that was roast with fire, for the strength of their journey. Now, what does that strength for their journey mean? Well, here in Exodus chapter 15, verse 26, the Bible says that after... Egypt came out after Israel came out of Egypt. You remember the story how that Pharaoh changed his mind and came out after Israel to, to destroy them. And it looked like Israel was pinned in. They had mountains on one side, had mountains on the other side. They had the army of Pharaoh, the Egyptian army, which was the greatest army, the greatest military force on the face of the earth at that time. And then behind them, they had the Red Sea. Moses tells the people, the people are afraid because of the circumstances. And so Moses speaks to the people and tells them to be still and see the salvation of the Lord. And then the Lord shows Moses what to do. He stretches his rod out over this, the Red Sea. And the Bible says the waters parted. And in the next morning, they went over on dry ground. The Bible tells us how that Pharaoh and his armies came in after them. And the sea came together when they were in the midst of it. Israel had made it to the other side. And when Pharaoh's army was in the midst of the Red Sea, the waters came back together again and destroyed the army of Pharaoh, the armies of Pharaoh. Now Israel certainly is greatly overjoyed because of the deliverance that's taken place for them. And they, but they come to a place. I'll start reading in um, Exodus chapter 15, beginning in verse 22. It says, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, 
they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Now, the language is not really very clear here. It doesn't uh, tell us whether it means it was unpleasant or it was poisonous, but either might be the case. They came to Marah, and they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah, which means bitterness. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. Now this language is indicative of the fact that God established something that would be eternal. And so this ordinance, this eternal ordinance that God instituted is in verse 26. God said, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes. I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now, what's the eternal principle here? God's the healer. And the eternal principle also includes that if we will give heed to his word, if we will obey his commandments, under the Old Covenant, it would have been the Ten Commandments, which were not yet given. And the other 630 points of, of obedience that the Old Covenant required. For us, however, we have a better covenant established upon better promises. We have one commandment to keep, and that's the law of love. So the unchanging ordinance, the eternal ordinance that God established, was that if we will walk in obedience to the Word, he will take sickness from the midst of us. He will remove the sickness that is rightly available and rightly comes on the world through sin, spiritual sin and spiritual death. But he identifies himself as the Lord that healeth thee. Now there's something very interesting about this verse in Exodus 15, 26. And that is the language is unclear as to what God is saying in this respect. You can't tell by the verbs that are used whether God is saying, I'm the one that will heal you just as he, he purified the waters and provided for them. He will take sickness away from the midst of them from that point forward. Or does the language indicate that I am the Lord that healed thee when you came out of Egypt? Again, Psalm 105 verse 37 said, they came forth with silver and gold and there was not one feeble among them. Now, between the 2 and 6 million people that are estimated that came out of Egypt after the Passover and the death of the firstborn of every household, how could you get that many people and not have anybody that's feeble or sickly among them? There are a lot of old people in this crowd, too. There are people of all ages. And how could you have a group of people, 2 million plus, whichever estimates you want to accept, as the more accurate or correct one. I really don't know which one it would be. Probably somewhere in the middle, between two and six million. But how are you going to get a crowd of people like that and nobody's sick? Now, it would have been a very easy thing for the Holy Ghost to give us information definitively one way or the other. There are verbs and tenses that could have been used for God to say, I am the Lord that will heal thee from this point forward and it's also available there were also verbs available 
if he was saying, I am the one that did heal thee. But he uses, uh, the Holy Ghost inspires Moses to give the account as if it could be either way. Usually when that happens, when there are alternatives that could be used to define uh, or speak more definitively to the point, usually it means both. I think in this case it does mean both. I think that the, the lamb that was eaten after the sacrifice was made and the blood put on the door and the side post, I think that the strength of their journey, that the Bible says that the eating of the lamb was for, included healing for the physical body. Now, there would be no way for us to make that determination with any form of confidence or any measure of confidence whatsoever if we didn't have something else or anything else attached to the, the Passover regarding the healing of the body. But there are two things that the Bible tells us that lends, this, lends credibility to this doctrine. I'm going to look over in Second Chronicles chapter 30, beginning in verse 1. This is 765 years after the original Passover was given. Hezekiah is the king of Israel. And it says, And Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah, and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh, that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel. For the king had taken counsel and his princes, and all the congregation in Israel or in Jerusalem to keep the Passover in the seventh month. For they could not keep it at that time, because the priests had not sanctified themselves sufficiently, neither had the people gathered themselves together to Jerusalem. Now, let me set the context of this. Hezekiah has just become king of Israel, and he calls for some of his aides to break out the old text, the law of Moses and what prophets they had at that time. And he reads in there about the Passover and the instruction that God has given to the children of Israel through Moses to keep the Passover and to keep this as an eternal ordinance. Well, Israel had stopped entering in or keeping the Passover many years back, and so Hezekiah is trying to restart the Passover ritual. The time of the year that he reads these things prohibits him from having it at the time that God said to have it, but they put things in motion as much as they were able to do, and they prepared themselves for the Passover a month late. And so they kept the Passover. They instituted or reinstituted the Passover as best that they could, knowing full well that they hadn't done it exactly the way that God told them to do it. So let's pick up again in verse 4. And the king and the thing pleased the king and all the congregation. So they established a decree to make a proclamation throughout all Israel from Beersheba even to Dan that they should come to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem. For they had not done it of a long time in, in such sort as it was written. So the post went with the letters from the king and his princes throughout all Israel and Judah and according to the commandment of the king, saying, You children of Israel, turn again unto the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and he will return the remnant of you that are escaped out of the hand of the kings of Assyria. And be ye not like your fathers and like your brethren which trespassed against the Lord God of their fathers, 
who gave them up to desolation as you see. Now be ye not stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves unto the Lord and enter into his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever. And serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may not turn or may turn away from you. For if you turn again unto the Lord, your brethren and your children shall find compassion before them that lead them captive, so that they shall come again unto this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if you returned unto him. So the post passed from city to city throughout the country of Ephraim and Manasseh, even unto Zebulun. But they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. In other words, not everybody took hold of, of Hezekiah's plan. Nevertheless, divers of Asher and Manasseh and of Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. Also in Judah, the hand of the Lord was to give them one heart to do the commandment of the king and of the princes by the word of the Lord. And there assembled at Jerusalem much people to keep the feast of unleavened bread in the second month, a very great congregation. And they arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem and all the altars for incense. They took away and cast them into the brook Kidron. They're purging of the leaven or the sinfulness of the people. Then they killed the Passover on the 14th day of the second month. And the priests and the Levites were ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought the burnt offerings unto the house of the Lord. And they stood in the place after their manner, according to the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests sprinkled the blood which they received at the hand of the Levites. For there were many in the congregation that were not sanctified. Therefore the Levites had the charge of the killing of the Passovers for everyone that was not clean, to sanctify them unto the Lord. For a multitude of the people, even many of Ephraim and Manasseh, Issachar and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves, yet they did eat the Passover otherwise then it was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, The good Lord pardon everyone that prepareth his heart to seek the Lord, the Lord God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. Notice verse 20. And the Lord hearkened unto Hezekiah and healed the people. Now, any way and every way that you can divide this Hebrew language where it says, And the Lord healed the people. It uses words concerning healing that always applies to the physical body. It can't be forgiveness of sins. It can't be just another way of talking about some spiritual blessing or spiritual context. The language itself dictates that when it says God healed the people, it means brought physical healing to them. Now, the second thing that I want you to see or the second proof that I want you to see is over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is admonishing the people to keep the Passover in the manner in which God instituted it and not to treat it just like some church, church lunch or buffet or something like that. Verse 23, Paul said, For I received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Now stop for a minute and think about what Paul is saying. He's telling us by the Holy Ghost that the communion element, what we know of as the communion, what the Jews knew of as the Passover, 
He's saying this shows the Lord's death. In other words, it's identifying Jesus and Jesus' sacrifice with the Passover. It's showing that God looks at the Passover ritual, the keeping of the Passover, as the first and perhaps most important revelation that God brought to his people. Paul goes on to say, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat of this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Now notice it doesn't say unworthy. See, the blood of Jesus makes us worthy. But the attitude of our heart determines whether we're partaking of it and keeping the Passover or the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. He's talking about the attitude of the heart here. He's not talking about whether there's uh, somebody operating in sin. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, here's the, the attitude of the heart again. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now damnation, does, it just means condemnation. It doesn't mean a sentence to hell. It just means in a sinful manner. Verse 30, for this cause, not discerning the Lord's body, partaking of the Lord's supper in, in an unworthy manner. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Different translations talk about dying prematurely. Our attitude toward the things of God and the ordinances that we keep that he has commanded us is of much greater importance than most people give credibility to. Here, Paul is saying by the Holy Ghost that there is a cause for Christians being weak and sickly. And that cause is not discerning the Lord's body. Now, what does it mean to discern the Lord's body? Well, there's two ways the body is talked about in Scripture concerning the Lord's body. One is the church is the body of Christ. Christ is the head. The church is the body. And all things have been placed under his feet. Well, the feet are in the body, so that means all things have been placed under our feet. Meaning that God's original plan and his present day plan and his eternal plan is for mankind to have authority here on the earth. So if we don't walk in love toward one another, if we don't see the value in each other and keep the commandment of love, the New Testament commandment of love, then that could bring weakness and frailty, sickliness to our bodies. But the other way that the body is talked about, specifically regarding communion, is what Jesus said about the bread representing his own body. Jesus had told the disciples that he had looked forward to having this Passover meal with them. Now Jesus knew that immediately after the Passover was finished, he would be betrayed and taken captive by the Romans delivered unto them by the, the Jewish council, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that he would be crucified, beaten severely, crucified, and that he would raise again from the dead after three days. So when the Bible talks about, when Paul speaks by the Holy Ghost here, 
and says not, not discerning the Lord's body. It's telling us that it's a requirement for us to have the right attitude of heart. It's a requirement of us to recognize that the body of Jesus was broken for us just as the shedding of his blood brought redemption or forgiveness of sins. He's saying that we have to recognize, should recognize, it's important for us to recognize that Jesus took stripes on his back and with his stripes we were healed. Now we see a lot of the church world not operating in that understanding. We see a lot of the church world that argues against healing being in the atonement. By that phrase, they simply mean that Jesus, the shedding of Jesus' blood only provided for the spirit of man and not for the physical body. But now, folks, we've seen clearly in the Old Testament two different witnesses about how the healing power of God strengthened the people of Israel to come out of Egypt and to proceed to the promised land in one case. And in the other case, 765 years later during Hezekiah's reign, that God brought healing to the people of Israel after they kept an ordinance that most of them had never even known about. Hezekiah certainly didn't know about it. It came as a surprise to him when one of his aides began to read of God's account of Exodus, what we know of as Exodus chapter 12, also known as the Exodus. Hezekiah didn't know anything about that. And so when he found out from the reading of the word and set in motion the things for the people of Israel to do in order for them to have or keep the Passover, even though it was at the, right, at the wrong time and even though the priests hadn't sufficiently prepared themselves, God in his mercy overlooked that and brought healing to the people of Israel. Now think about what that means. If under the old covenant the children of Israel could receive and did receive healing in their physical bodies from sickness and disease. But we can't have that now because Jesus shed his blood, but that blood only provided for our spiritual well-being. Then look at what we lost by the shedding of Jesus' blood. Look at what we lost by Jesus coming to the earth living as a man and offering his body and his blood as our sacrifice. Yet the Bible says in Hebrews 8, 6 that we have a better covenant established upon better promises. Not only that, but in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul is inspired by the Holy Ghost to say Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Well, we know the curse of the law included sickness and disease. The curse of the law was three things, spiritual death, sickness and disease, and then the third thing was poverty. And Paul writes by the Holy Ghost that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. In other words, he's redeemed us from spiritual death. That's where eternal life comes in. He's redeemed us from poverty by making supernatural provision for us. But that he's also redeemed us from sickness and disease. Paul goes on to say, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. There's the crucifixion. Now, to what end did he do that? 
Galatians 3 verse 14 goes on to tell us how or why that or so that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles and that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So Paul says, inspired by the Holy Ghost, that the redemptive plan of God, which was accomplished by the shedding of Jesus' blood, was intended to bring to us the blessing of Abraham. Now, we know the blessing of Abraham. Nobody would argue this. The blessing of Abraham included physical healing for the body. The blessing of Abraham included redemption not only from sin, but from sickness and poverty. So whereas some would say that healing is not a part of the atonement today, Paul said that the very reason that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law was so that those blessings of Abraham would come on us in our day and in our time. So healing is part of the atoning work of Jesus. Now without going to look at these scriptures for the sake of time, I want to point out something to you, and that is this. If healing is not in the atonement, or we'll say it this way for clarity, if healing is not a part of the work that Jesus accomplished, then why does the Old Testament time after time after time connect healing with the atoning work under the Old Covenant? Here's what I mean. If we were to go back to Leviticus chapter 14, it gives us specific instructions, or gave Israel specific instructions, of what to do should a leper be cleansed and his leprosy leave his body. It talks about the ritual examination that the high priest would perform on this person. And then it immediately identifies that the leper that was cleansed was to make an atonement, provide a sacrifice, provide different animals to the high priest that those animals might be killed in a ritual manner and the blood of these animals provided for the sake of the leper that was cleansed. Leviticus chapter 15 tells us the same thing with a person that has an issue of blood. It connects time and time and time again. It connects the atoning work or an atoning work with healing. Now, there are a couple of times that I do want you to see. One is over in Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16. The context of this is going to be important. So let me start reading in verse 28. I'll begin by saying that the sons of Korah have raised up against Moses and God and complained that Moses is trying to be the spokesman, the single spokesman, when they could be as well. So Moses says in verse 28, number 16, verse 28, Moses said, Hereby shall you know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of mine own hand. If these men, he's talking about me and talking about the sons of Korah, if these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up with all that appertain unto them, and they go down quick into the pit, then shall you understand that these men have provoked the Lord. 
And it came to pass as he made an end of speaking all these words that the ground clave asunder that was under them. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their houses and all the men that are appertained unto Korah and all their goods. They and all they that appertained unto them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed upon them and they perished from among the congregation. And all Israel that were around them, round about them, fled at the cry of them for they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. And there came out a, a fire from the Lord and consumed the 250 men that offered incense. These are part of the ones that have uh, exalted themselves against Moses. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, that he take up censers out of the burning, and scatter thou the fire yonder, for they are hallowed. The censers of these sinners against their own souls, let them make them broad plates for a covering of the altar. And they offered them before the Lord. Therefore they are hallowed, and they shall be a sign unto the children of Israel. And Eliezer the priest took the brazen censers wherewith they that had burnt had offered, and they were made broad plates for a covering of the altar, to be a memorial unto the children of Israel that no stranger which is not of the seed of Aaron come near to offer incense before the Lord, that he be not as Korah and as his company, as the Lord said unto him by the hand of Moses. This was a great display of not only God's power, but of God showing forth that he chose, he's the one that chooses who speaks for him. The sons of Korah have exalted themselves to say, we can speak for God just as easily as you can, Moses. And that's what brought about this terrible event to begin with. And so we see that the people are fleeing from fear because God has exacted judgment upon this line of people, the sons of Korah. But notice the next verse in verse 41. But on the morrow, their fear didn't restrain them for more than just one night. By the time the next morning comes around, on the morrow, all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. Here's a work that God did to show them the importance of not raising themselves against Moses or any spokesman that God sets up for himself, but it didn't even last for a day. And it came to pass when the congregation was gathered against Moses and against Aaron that they looked toward the congregation, the tabernacle of the congregation, and behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. And Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of the congregation, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Get you up from among this congregation, that I may consume them as in a moment. And they fell upon their faces. And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer and put fire therein from off the altar and put on incense and go quickly unto the congregation and make an atonement for them. For there is wrath gone out from the Lord and the plague is begun. And Aaron took as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the congregation. And behold, the plague had begun among the people. And he put on the incense and made an atonement for the people. Notice how he's attaching an atonement with the deliverance that he's seeking. He, Moses, is seeking for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stayed. Now they that died in the plague were 14,700, beside them that died about the manner of Korah the day before. And Aaron returned unto, Moses, 
unto Moses under the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and the plague was stayed. Notice what Moses understood. Moses recognized that the way to stop the plague and the only way to stop the plague was to offer an atonement for the people. See, sin opens the door to spiritual death. Spiritual death carries with it the consequences of poverty and sickness and disease. And so Moses knew that the only way to stop this righteous judgment against the people who have raised themselves now the second time against Moses and Aaron, the only way to stop that is to provide an atonement. Now look with me to chapter 21 of Numbers. Here's another example where the atonement delivered the people. Numbers chapter 21, verse 4. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. This is simply telling us that the way that God led them to go was not the quickest way to go, the quickest way to get there. You've heard the saying that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Well, they certainly were not traveling in a straight line. They went way out of the way. They were inconvenienced. It was a difficult journey. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. They got tired, even though they were in the wilderness for 40 years at their own, by their own doing. You could understand how they would get tired of the wilderness. But here's the action that they took in verse 5. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. Talking about manna. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much of the people of Israel died. Here's a, a word that should be in the permissive tense that's translated into the causative tense. God didn't send them uh, fiery serpents. The Bible talks about how that God protected them in the land where these fiery serpents were. But when they began to speak against God and against Moses, that umbrella of protection left them. And these fiery serpents, these poisonous snakes, came in among the people, and they bit the people, and much of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. Notice they recognized the reason why this was happening to them. We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee, Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looks upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Now here's an atonement that Moses offers for the people. And this is a type that Jesus fulfilled in John chapter 3. It tells us that Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent of brass in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up from the earth. So he's identifying that he is the fulfilling or the fulfillment of this Old Testament type. Now what is this Old Testament type? It's a substitute when Moses is commanded by God to make a fiery serpent on the pole, since Jesus is fulfilling that by his death, burial, and resurrection, we have to recognize that the serpent represents sin. Why would Jesus identify with sin? Jesus said himself 
that just as Moses lifted up the serpent of brass, he would have to be lifted up, and that's his crucifixion. That's him lifted up on the cross. He's identifying with the sins of the people. So here again, here's the second place. Or actually, I guess it's the fifth place, if we count the Levitical examples as well. Here's the fifth time that an atonement or a sacrifice or a substitution is made for the people, for the sake of the people. So, folks, here's the question. If healing is not in the atonement, then why does God time after time after time use the atonement or some manner or method of the atonement to identify with the sins and the sicknesses of his people? It wouldn't make sense for God to go to so much trouble and give us so many examples of connecting sickness with an atonement if Jesus fulfilling the atonement that he was sent to the earth to provide didn't include healing for the physical body as well. I want you to look with me to one last passage of Scripture, and that's in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, verse 16. It says, When the evening was come, they brought unto him, Jesus, many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. Now, a lot of times people will say, well, that was Jesus. He was the Son of God, and he was doing that to prove that he was the Son of God. But that's not why the Bible says that took place. Let's keep reading in verse 17. Jesus healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying he himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now, I trust you know the Bible well enough to recognize that verse 17 is referring to Isaiah 53, 4, and 5. Isaiah 53 says, Surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. So here's Matthew, inspired by the Holy Ghost, saying that the, the chapter Isaiah 53, which everybody recognizes, all Bible scholars recognize, is the great atoning chapter. It tells the things that the Messiah would do. It tells us the work that the Messiah would undertake. It tells us the sacrifice and the substitution that would be made for man's well-being and on man's behalf. And so when, I, and when Matthew here says, by the Holy Ghost, that Jesus healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled or to bring about the fulfillment of the atoning chapter, the atoning work of Jesus that's identified in Isaiah 53. Now, again, some people will say, well, see, he fulfilled it when he was here on the earth. But the atoning work of Isaiah 53 is in every respect the result of the, the crucifixion of Jesus, the substitutionary work of Jesus, not Jesus being here on the earth but Jesus dying as our substitute. So he healed all that were sick to fulfill the atoning work of Jesus that was completed on the cross. To fulfill the atoning work of Jesus when he became our substitute. And notice the qualification, one of the great truths of this scripture that I think a lot of people miss. That great truth is simply this. The condition 
the only condition that would satisfy Jesus fulfilling the atoning work that he was sent to the earth to do, the fulfillment of every type under the old covenant, the Levitical cleansing of the leper, the Levitical atonement for someone with an issue of blood, the plague that came through the, the people of Israel because they spoke and murmured against God, along with the fiery serpents that entered in. The only qualification that would satisfy all of those things, the fulfillment of all of those types, was healing all that were sick. Every sick person received their, or was made available, made possible for them to receive their healing because it's the atoning work of Jesus. Jesus paid the price, folks. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Well, as I said before, in the beginning of the service, we want to receive communion this morning. If you've had a chance to get something to use as communion elements, I'm going to invite you to join in with us as we receive, partake of the Lord's Supper. I'll go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where Paul says, For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This bread represents the body of Jesus Christ, the substitutionary work of Jesus himself, so that we through his stripes might be healed. So let's thank God for the bread. Father, we thank you for your great plan of redemption. We thank you that Jesus did a complete work, not a partial work, but a complete work, and brought us into a better covenant established upon better promises than they had under the old covenant. We see that the old covenant included physical healing for the body. And we thank you, Father, that by the blood of Jesus, it's the new covenant includes that as well. Jesus, we thank you for being faithful to carry out God's great plan. We thank you that we have been redeemed from spiritual death, poverty, and sickness. So we lift up this bread to you, Lord Jesus, and recognize that it represents your body and the sacrifice that you made, the awful beating that you took in Pilate's court. We thank you, Lord, that you loved us enough to do that for us. And as we receive this bread now, we receive our healing in Jesus' name. Let's partake of the bread. After the same manner, he also took the cup. When he had up, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for that which represents the precious blood of Jesus. We thank you that his precious blood was shed for us. We thank you, Father, 
that it paid the price for us to escape from spiritual death and enter into eternal life. And we, by the word of God, recognize that we have that eternal life now. We're not going to have eternal life just when we get to heaven. But we have it now. And that life, that blood of Jesus that was shed for us and on our behalf provides for us to become part of your family. We thank you, Father, that through the blood of Jesus, you are our Father and we are your children. We thank you that we've been loosed from spiritual death and that we've entered into the kingdom of your dear Son. Thank you, Father, that we've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus and that we have become joint heirs with Christ. Therefore, we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for all that you've done for us. Let's receive the cup. Hallelujah. Lord, we magnify your name. We thank you that we are redeemed spirit, soul, and body. We thank you, Father, that the devil has no place in us. And because we are the righteousness of God, we have the authority to refuse anything and everything that's of the devil. So we declare that our bodies are healed from the top of our heads to the soles of our feet. We declare that any virus, any germ, any bacteria, any evil thing that comes in contact with our body dies instantly. We refuse sickness and disease the right to take hold upon our flesh. We thank you, Father, that we truly are free by the precious blood of Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for being with us, folks. We hope it won't be too long before we can all get together again. We love you. Have a great day. Come on back.